Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 36 of the Haskin Cast podcast. Uh, once again, another week, another episode, and I'm very excited to bring my dear friend Pamela onto the show. Uh, she is a, a compl- an accomplished gamer and a streamer and accomplished hairdresser. Uh, she was one of the earlier people doing the streaming thing, and she had some very inventive ways of making this happen because we weren't, uh, we didn't have the equipment to do it and we're designed to be able to do that. But she found a way to, to create that for herself and create a gaming family, which I think is a really neat idea. I would imagine that if I were involved in that, I, I would like to think that I would be able to find a group of people that I kind of clicked with and, and uh, have some really cool adventures with. Um, so we talk about that. And, you know, it's really interesting because I went to high school uh, in Michigan with Pamela, and we didn't really know each other. We had one class together uh, the last year that that my family was there, which I was a sophomore and I think she was a junior. And uh, we, but we didn't know each other. I, I, I don't know if we ever even spoke, but we knew who each other were. I always thought she was very sweet, very intelligent, uh, fairly quiet, you know, kind of kept to herself and uh, kind of makes sense that, that people who tend to have that introverted thing find hobbies that turn into bigger things that uh, allow them to maintain that uh, that level of where they want to be as far as interacting with people, going outside and interacting with the world. So I'm not really surprised that she kind of found this, although being someone who is kind of shy and reserved for her to be the, the badass video game player that she is, uh, that was a surprise. I've watched some of her videos and it's she's kind of fearless. Uh, so that's that's kind of neat to see. Um, but, you know, what, what was interesting was that because we didn't really know each other, and I don't remember exactly how we reconnected through, uh, through social media, but we did. And as we've gotten to know each other nowadays, uh, you know, it, it holds true that all those things that, that are great about her that I always thought uh, are still hold true today. And now we're really, really good friends, and we we can talk to each other as adults who know who we are, whereas back then, you're still trying to figure out who you are, what your ideals are, what you want to be, and you know who your group is going to be, and, and where you're headed in life, and those sorts of things. So even if you got to know somebody back then, that's all pre-decision, pre-development um, into full adulthood. So I actually have really enjoyed getting to know some people that I didn't know, as well as some that I did. Uh, that have become obviously more stable adults as, uh, than we were as, as kids that I went to high school with. And I love the fact that we live in that technological time of social media as, as much as I limit my exposure to it, uh, simply because I don't have the time. But uh, it's really kind of cool to get to know people. So I would say, you know, give everyone a chance. And uh, if they turn out to be somebody that you do not connect with, that's fine. Just disconnect that. Uh, but you know, you might, you might find some wonderful things and even people that you knew that maybe you didn't think were the greatest people. They're completely different. Uh, you know, a couple of decades after high school. So, uh, be open, give people a chance. You never know what kind of new friendships that, uh, may develop. Uh, so that being said, one thing that, you know, because we didn't really know each other back then, we had a, a really lengthy discussion, actually, before we started recording. And uh, that led into a whole different direction for the podcast, because I thought we were going to talk about video games and strategies and all this kind of stuff I wanted to ask her. And that just changed and morphed into this whole genealogy thing. Uh, because I found out that she was adopted and uh, has has been in the works of connecting with people that she is related to and getting to know them and, and 
things about her real family that she didn't uh, ever know. So it's so it was a really interesting conversation where we jump into that, and I hope that you'll enjoy that, and maybe that will inspire you or someone else that you know to uh, maybe find some things out about your family that you don't know, whether you're adopted or not. We all have families that are are you know branch out into all kinds of different things, and and there's probably a lot of things you didn't know. I learned a lot about both of my grandfathers after they died. Uh, one of them actually at the reception after the funeral, I found out so many things that I would have loved to have talked to him about, uh, but just never knew. So you know, don't wait until it's too late. Learn stuff now. You never know what kind of gems you can uncover. But as we talk about in the episode. Don't ask a question that you're not willing to hear the answer to. So if you're not really ready to hear maybe something that's not so good, might not be the right time for you to do it. So that's my little uh, lesson or suggestion. I kind of feel like I'm, I have to do like some kind of intelligent thing before I start the the interview to, I don't know, make the world a little bit better or enrich somebody's life or something. At least that's the hope. Uh, so anyway, without further ado, let's bring Pam on. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome my friend Pamela Lynn to the show. Pamela, how are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you for taking some time out of your life, saving the digital world, and making people beautiful to come and chat with me for a while. Oh, well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I, uh, you know, this is the, the, we were talking a little bit before we recorded, obviously, but, uh, you know, this is the first time you and I have spoken in, in a good uh, 25, 30 years. And it's it's just amazing to me uh, to catch up with people and to kind of find out about things that have been going on in their life. And you have been actually doing streaming gaming for quite some time, really before it was a popular thing. I have. And that all kind of started. Um, I I get weird things wrong with me. I don't get sick. I don't get a cold. I don't get the flu. I, when I get something wrong with me, it's some weird thing. So this was one of my weird things where I had this, this that kept popping up in my foot. So they finally took it out, and then I couldn't walk for like 10 days. So what are you going to do if you can't walk for 10 days? You're going to play video games. Right. So I was playing Resident Evil Outbreak, and during those 10 days of me constantly playing that game, I ended up getting really good at it, which did turn out with me and my group of friends being first place in North America at this game. And I'm going to just say it's because I, I had nothing else to do, so I learned it kind of inside out. And then we kind of wanted to show people how we were doing some of the crazy things that we were doing in this game is we weren't playing it like we were supposed to. And you, you can tell people that, but it's so much more interesting to show them. Mm -hmm. Even, But even like with uh, miniature golf, if you've played the course enough times, it's pretty boring. You have to do something to spice it up. Like you can't use any of the mini golf stuff. You have to shoot around or you have to play geometry. Like you got to spice That's it up. That's exactly what we did. So we would have played the whole level where you could use nothing but a knife. You're not allowed to touch the weapons. Wow. The only way you can kill zombies is to step on their feet, maybe this time. You know, you're not even going to let you use the knife. Mm -hmm. Oh, that had to be tough. You know, once we learned the game, it really kind of wasn't. I mean, you knew what was going to happen when and where everything was. And those videos are still up on my YouTube, even from, from back then. They're a little grainy now because there was no high def then, but they're still there. Wow, and and we'll have the link in the in the show notes to that. But it isn't the challenge the fact that the game is really built around as you proceed through the game, not just getting stronger, but getting better armor, getting better weapons to defeat the enemies, to play without being able to have access to the thing that the game's based on, and that really has to 
to add a whole another level to it. Yeah, I guess that's what you do when you run out of the challenges the game is thrown at you. Then you just make up your own. Right. But yeah, there is, there's, I'm sure there's a video up there of us taking on the final boss with just pocket knives. <laughs> oh, I love that. Now, now, what time frame are we talking about here? Ah, uh, when was that game out? I, I want to say that that one was kind of early 2000s. Okay. So this was before streaming when we really didn't have uh, the equipment to do streaming. So how are you doing that? So you had to buy a capture device, and then you'd go through this process of you'd hook the VCR up to your TV. So you'd actually be recording yourself playing on the VCR. And then when you recorded everything you did, you'd take this capture device and then hook it up to your computer and hit play on the tape that you just made. And then it would upload it to your computer where you could edit it from there. So like when you're converting old VHS tapes using that? Exactly. Exactly the same thing. And you could use this to do that if you wanted to put a VHS tape there and get it on a CD, it would have worked for that too. I actually want to say that I think that's what its intended purpose was. Mm-hmm. And we were using it, we were using it differently. Well, but that's the creative side, right? We have something we want to do and we have to figure out a way to make it work. And you did. That's pretty cool. And uh, I have one friend who makes like, he, his thing was to cut uh, our gameplay up into music videos and he was so good at it so I, I like the things he was making i thought was better than what the companies were putting out as ads <laughs> well and plus they had that personal connection because it was you guys doing the action it's true yeah but now thinking now i i've just recently started doing uh video reviews myself for for the music industry and i had a really hard time because the uh music recording program that i use the outputs only go out of the computer so i had to find a way to route it back into the computer uh to be able to record it on the the uh video capture program i'm using which is camtasia is it is it really easy now to you're are you streaming through pc gaming or are you using a playstation I'm streaming straight to the PlayStation now. It's just press the share button. That's how easy it's become. So it went from this whole thing where I needed all this hardware and I was moving things from one room to the other and hooking up cables to now I just press a button. And I picked, do I want it to go to Twitch or YouTube? Mm-hmm. And does the headset then hook into the PlayStation? Yes. Yep, it goes into the controller. Wow. Yeah, you're right. That is so simple compared to the old days. I'm wondering now why I have all these cords laying around still. Do you, uh, and you, when you stream though, do you stream on both or can you only stream one at the same time? Um, I think that you have to choose one. There would be a way to do both because you, instead of streaming, you can also save your video. So if, if I just had a good run, I can just kind of save that and then deal with it later. Mm-hmm. And there's probably 20 or 30 videos that I've saved that I've not gone in and edited right now. I save a half hour to 45 minutes at a time when I do that so that I really get whatever thing that happens that I want to share. Okay. So your focus is more on the game than the people that are watching you when you do it live. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more concerned with the game. When I'm broadcast live, I'm either doing something ridiculous that I just think people might find entertaining or I'm playing something online, which to me is more like it's more entertaining for someone to watch if there's this epic battle going on than maybe me browsing some menu screens. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, who wants to see that? Even even when I've watched some of the uh, game tutorials and stuff online for games that I was interested in playing, th- it just bothers me so much to watch somebody start up and then spend 10 minutes equipping themselves yes. with armor and it's weapons. Like, just get to the action. Boring. Yeah. Yeah. I, be- I mean, there is something to be learned from that. 
uh, I suppose. But now you you can just Google it. It's it's not like yes. before where you didn't have access to those things. Uh, and you know you you're really particular with the kind of games that you like to play. Tell us what you're into. Well, like a lot of the genres I used to play don't exist anymore. I used to love the the um, like Tomb Raider 3D platformers or the survival horror, and those things have kind of all become shooters. Mm-hmm. Everything is pretty much a shooter now. So I will tend to play some like I like Monster Hunter because that's a, a game that again I'm not like always in army gear trying to shoot somebody. Right. That one's got a, a light RPG feel to it. You're crafting stuff. You're doing some other things. Um, I still will play all the Resident Evils. I didn't play Seven though because there were no zombies in it, and uh, for me, Resident Evil must have zombies. Yeah, that's the whole crux of it. So I, that's the only one I've skipped. Was uh, would you say that that Doom or Castle Wolfenstein was maybe where that started to change into that first person shooter thing? Yeah, what really did it was Halo. Like once Halo came out, then everything just tried to be like Halo. Well, that's the thing, right? When somebody comes out with something successful, everybody wants to hop on the bandwagon as quickly as possible and get a piece of it. I will give Capcom a lot of credit for that remake of Resident Evil 2. They managed to blend the feel of the old survival horror with this new shooter gameplay really well. Like, I'm going to give them five stars for that. They really did pull that off. Nice. I had all the nostalgia, but I was playing with the new engine. Well, and that's that's a really big compliment coming from somebody who spends as much time in those worlds as you do. And by the outbreak game that I was playing when I hurt my foot was also in that same world at that same time. And I think that that might, you know, there's a little nostalgia there for me that I will revisit that whenever they give me the chance to. Very cool. I was also very excited in this game. They made that outbreak game that I loved. They kind of made it canon with this and Resident Evil 7. They have introduced these characters now into the main franchise. So... I'm really hopeful that means I'm going to see them again at some point. Well, I think it's probably going to happen. I mean, companies know that they need to ride the success of everything that they have as long as they can, right? So they know what a huge success and and how many people just love those things. And I think that they just take so long to develop because they're so graphic intensive and so much drawing and, and has to be done to make it work. The rest of it's fairly simple. You know, the voice sessions... Uh, those go fairly quickly. And, you know, the composer's working on the music outside of that. So really, it comes down to all the the graphics and gameplay and then all the testing that they need to do. Um, have you ever been able to do any beta testing? I have done some beta testing. I did, um, whenever they ask if I want to, I'm gonna, even if I don't necessarily want to play the game, because any chance to kind of get in there and find bugs is fun. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, can I break this game? Can I get stuck in the wall? That stuff is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And you're just going out of your way to, to break the game when you're playing it like that. Yeah. The, what I didn't appreciate, and, and it's, it's just to go to say it, and it's another reason maybe why I choose the kind of games I do. Um, I jumped in Red Dead Redemption online at, when it was new, and I could not play it. Really? Because I was a female, I was targeted to a point where I would have had to pretend to be a guy to successfully have any fun in the multiplayer in that game. And that's just stupid. you know. But that's not the game. That's the people playing it, right? Yep. And Rockstar Games is going to kind of draw that type of community because they're Grand Theft Auto. Like that's going to, I've noticed that the more realistically violent a game is, the worse their community will be. Mm. If I jump on Monster Hunter where we are fighting dinosaurs with swords, nine out of 10 people there are really going to want to help me with whatever my goal is. Mm Mm-hmm. 
If I go to Red Dead Redemption, they're not going to let me even look in a window without yanking me off my horse with a lasso. Wow. That's just, you know, and I, I, I just don't get that mentality. Uh, but that's, that's the world today. And especially when you have the ability to do something as a, a completely non-directly interacting, like I'm never going to see you, right? So I can do whatever right. I want to you in this video game, or I can you know, right. be as mean as I want because I don't have to confront you in person. And the one thing I will say with the headset talk has helped me some where you, maybe you wouldn't really necessarily want to have a girl's voice on the headset, but mine is not girly. So if they can hear me, I actually have less of a hard time than if they can't, because I think they're picturing a young girl. You can pick on this young girl. Well, you can't picture that when you hear my voice. Oh, I see what you're saying. If I can talk, I have less trouble than when I'm not talking. Well, yeah, I could see that. And, you know, we, we talked to uh, Lady Lone Wanderer a few weeks ago, and, and she's a, a Twitch streamer down in Florida. And she was telling me that, and this was a real shock to me, because I, I really didn't know anything about this world until recently, other than that existed. Uh, but uh, the, the death threats and the I'm going to rape yes. you and all that kind of stuff. Yes. I don't, you know, if somebody's in a game, and they're not affecting what you're doing, why would you need to go bother them? Just go play your game. Go do what you know you're going to do. You don't have to ruin it for somebody else. And and that just even to say those things to somebody for any reason is just off the wall to me. Yeah, I got my first death threats and outbreak. Um, I don't even think it would phase me now because I don't. There's no intent to follow through with these things. Generally, it's just what outrageous thing can I say to you? Mm-hmm. But oh yeah, I did have a guy in outbreak tell me he was going to just gas my hair salon and kill me while I was working. Wow. And what do you think it is that, that these people get off on when they say that? Because if, they, if there's no real intent and the, the person on the, the listening side knows there's no intent, then what is the point of it? I actually just read the science behind this pretty recently. Really? And they've, they've done some science on this. So uh, male gamers do not like females that are better than them. So what you're going to find is that people that are have the least skill at the game are going to be the ones that do this to you. Uh, the more skills that the male gamer has, the less threatened he feels by the female and the less you'll get that. And I almost wonder like this group of guys that I game with and have been gaming with for 10 years now are really good at games. So it does tend to fit this science that I found these guys who were not threatened by me, but they're all, they're all better than me when it comes to gaming. Wow. That's saying a lot because you're pretty good. Yeah, these these guys are my they're my greatest greatest crew. If I can't get something done, one of them one of them can. And there's one of us who I, I just think he's part robot. Like I, I just think that there's a little bit of a cyborg in there because I've never seen somebody with twitch reactions on the level of his. He gets accused of cheating constantly. Wow. And he's not. He's just really that good. Mm-hmm. So basically what, what this science is saying is that we're living in digital caveman times. Yes, we're living in, we're living in uh, digital caveman times. And the, the people that were threatening me were the people that I was competing against. They weren't just random guys in the game. Okay. They were the people that I was beating. Mm. And that's really when it, when, if you go to that message board for that game, it's 10 years old and say my name, people will get mad still. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's forever. Wow, how sad. You know, it's when when we look back on where we've been as a society and I look back on, you know, even even in the 20s and the 30s and 
you know, how it was, you know, woman, you stay home barefoot and pregnant, I'll go out and kill the, the, you know, dinner and whatever. I, I just think, where would we be now if we would have never taken those ridiculous gender roles? I mean, there's certain things that make sense. If uh, if a woman is pregnant, yes, you want to protect her so that your your lineage can continue. And I get those instincts. But to just, you know, you do this, we do that, and we're going to make all the decisions. And that's just how it's going to be. I've never understood that mentality. Yeah, I couldn't win in that game. So if I played with them, they would try to kill me. They would try to jump in my games, try to kill me, try to disrupt my gameplay. If I put a password on my room so they couldn't get in, then they would jump on the message boards and go, oh, she's too scared to play with anybody. It was like I kind of learned that that was not a situation where there was any way to win. The only way to win was to not engage. Right. So when it came into Outbreak 2, I decided to not be competitive because I really didn't want any more crap from these people. But I met a new guy, the one who I said is the crazy twitch reflexes, and he sucked me back into it. And we ended up being first place in North America through that one, too. So instead of being bullied, you pushed through and became one of the top players in the country. Yeah, it was great. We had all the points ranked. I love that. All the high scores. Well, what what was it that kept making you play the game in the first place? I mean, if you like the game, but the experience is so horrible because of the way that people are interacting with you, why did you even keep playing it as long as you did? What What made you stick in there? If I was a gamer today, I don't know that I would have because now everything is on headset. At that time, the only time anyone could talk to me was before the game started or after it ended. Oh, okay. So you could only type in the lobby. You couldn't speak to anyone. While the game was going on, I mean, people could maybe, there were slight ways to harass you, but not, especially if I have some of my friends with me, like they're not going to let them kill me in the game. Right, I see. It was the just being able to Partly, I was young and I wanted to prove myself. I wasn't going to take that. I'm very stubborn. I don't like being told what to do. If you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to try to do that thing. Ah, right. Well, you're a spirited fighter, for sure. And it was just such a fun game. It was like my favorite franchise, and suddenly I could play it with these other people. And that you couldn't talk to each other was one of the best aspects, because if your partner died in the basement, you didn't know that. You had to actually go look for their body. So it was realistic. I, and I like that about it. You pick the person with a specific set of skills and you could choose to contribute to the team or to make it more difficult for them. It was up to you. I was um, I was the one that lockpicked all the doors. Was your character a thief? She was a journalist, but apparently she could also lockpick. I'm glad. I hope that's not a common journalist trait. Yes, I, I hope not, too. Um, we had the best player from the Japanese server pop over to the North American server because he just kind of wanted to see what we were doing. And he told me I didn't lockpick fast enough. And then it was like challenge accepted. Ah, uh, gotcha. So when he came back two weeks later, I lockpicked fast enough. And then it was onto those ranks. Very cool. Well, see, yeah, but that's what I mean. You have that real fighter spirit in you. And if, you know, if, if somebody wants to get you to do something, I guess just challenge you that you can't. I have a, a cousin who does some things in genealogy, and she's telling me that I, in my DNA, I do have the warrior's gene. So we're assuming that that's kind of where that comes from. I believe it. I believe it. I think there's there's a combination of things that are inherent traits in us uh, through that. But there's also the experiences that we've had in life that kind of make us also become that organically, besides the, you know, besides the predilection to do it. And... When you're backed up, when you're somebody who enjoys being aggressive as a character, 
and you're pushed in real life, especially when you're pushed as that character, which is your escape from real life. Uh, that's just, you know, you're, you're poking the bear. Yes. And that character actually was very, um, she was very aggressive. She was the only female character that had a power boost in her attack. The other female characters were definite support characters. They could hold more items or heal you. This one actually had a power boost in her gunshot. That's a nice feature for sure. So that's the one I was going for. Now, so you do the team-oriented games. I think the one that I watched one time, was it a Star Wars game you were playing, I think? Yeah, uh, Battlefront. Battlefront. I played Battlefront for about a year straight. That was just really fun. I really liked that game. I had a PS2 for a while, and I really liked that game, but I have uh, motion sickness, so I would get very dizzy playing a lot of those games that came out in you know the 2000s. Uh, as fun as they were for me, they would just, they, they, I would be just debilitated for a day or two. And so I, I had to stop and, and I gave it away, but, uh, I really did like battlefront. I thought the, uh, it was a very realistic, uh, game, you, you know, the, the scrolling, the motion of it, everything you really had control and you really felt like you were there. Yeah. I loved that game and I didn't even play it because I don't generally play shooters. Like it's again, I'm, I know that I'm going into this guy's arena here and that I'm asking for it with my girl name. But it had a VR mission that they added to it, and I had a VR headset. So when I played that VR mission, I was like, oh, now I have to play this game because I'm just feeling very into Star Wars right now. I'm so glad that happened because I had a year of fun on that game. Oh, sure, yeah. And and now, of course, uh, with the news that uh, it's going back to LucasArts, this should get interesting again in the game world. Yeah, well, we're, like I, I don't know that anyone's going to be unhappy to hear that because EA just got so greedy with that franchise and all the microtransactions. I played the second Battlefront for maybe a half hour and never touched it again. Wow, after a year of the first one. Yeah, I was really excited about it too, but it didn't have the same feel at all. Yeah, and the thing is is when you're going to when you're going to follow up on something that's really iconic, um if you're not going to follow along with it and make people feel comfortable in that same world, then you really better bring something magical to make them go, okay, this isn't what I know, but I like this better. Yeah. And if you're not going to do that, then why bother? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They really just dropped the ball in that game. And I know they tried to fix it, but it was just too far gone. And last time I saw it for sale, I think it was $6. So I don't think that my opinion is unique. When it comes to that one. Right. Do you remember the old days uh, when, you know, when Atari and television were phasing out and you could go to KB Toys and there would just be a bin of games for $2 each? Yes. We cleaned up. That was always my bin, too, because we didn't have a lot of money when I was younger. So Mm -hmm. you had to wait for some stuff to hit clearance. Yes. And yes, I was part of that E.T. pandemonium with uh i i bought the game at kb toys for two dollars i took it home i played it twice and i'm like this is just stupid and i don't think i ever put that cartridge back in again and then i found it online uh a few months ago and i i played it for a little while just to, to try and understand it and get the feel back for it and i thought yeah this is really as bad as i remember mm-hmm. you know yeah sometimes it's it's not even that it's not your thing. Sometimes it's just truly bad. Yeah. And I think they had a good idea, but it just wasn't playable. And they were kind of going, uh, from what I read, there was a, a, an immense amount of pressure to get the game released by a certain date. So it was just, well, this is where it's at. And they put it out. And that just goes to show you, no matter how much things change, they don't really, because games still get put out unfinished like that. They're still 
meeting deadlines and cramming stuff in. Right. But the difference is, is that nowadays, uh, and maybe not in all formats, but nowadays you can have, you can put patches in there that fix things along the way. Whereas yeah. back then you bought a cartridge and you got what you got. I mean, there's like an upside and a downside to that too. Cause now you used to be, if you could complete challenges in the game, you would get these items or these things. And now you have to, those are all microtransactions. Oh, really? Now it's 99 cents. It's two ninety nine. It's, yeah, that's the downside of that. They can pass all the stuff in, but they like to charge you for it now. So, and these are this is real, real world dollars we're talking about, yeah. not in game yep. dollars. Yeah, not in game dollars. Wow. So, do you still have the ability to find rare items, or is it just really diminished now because they're trying to get you to buy it? Yeah, they really want you to buy it now, and that's where EA broke Battlefront. Uh, the gamers were not having that level of microtransactions. You could. You could just buy everything the first day, and then you're dominating everyone else who is trying to actually earn the things through mm-hmm. playing the game. Right. Yeah. See, that just takes all the fun out of it because, you know, it, it's, and I've said on the show before, the only game I've really played in the last few years is Diablo 2. And, but that's part of the fun is going through the dungeons and killing guys and seeing what yes. kind of weapons pop out of them. Uh, and getting the rare stuff because, you know, you've, you've made so many kills, so it'll give you a rare rune or something like that. What's that's just like a cheat code, basically. Yeah, it it really sucks. That's a shame. Yeah, that's that's definitely not as fun. And there's there's no bypassing it, really, right? Because if they just if the items just don't exist in the game, it's not like well, if we just play long enough and we just fight enough, we'll find. Yeah, and playing long enough is like a hundred hours of gameplay, and that's where the problem is. Like, yeah. do you want to put in a hundred hours of people beating on you who purchase all these things? No, because that's not really fun. Right. I got that in high school. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a shame. That's a real shame. I remember um, when people started selling items on eBay and I, I didn't really, I still don't really understand how it works. I guess you just download the the code and then drop it into the, the file mm-hmm. and then that weapon appears in your inventory or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But that was kind of like where it started, wasn't it? The first signs of let's do something that we can make some money on. Yeah, that's been going on for a long time. I can remember um, when my ex was playing World of Warcraft, there were a lot of people farming that game and selling things. And then the companies thought, well, we can't have people doing this. We have to be the ones making the money. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because, you know, and and I, to a certain extent, I can appreciate them wanting to, uh, you know, make it something because they're sustaining it with the the updates and keeping the programmers yep. on, on staff and all that. And you're only going to purchase the game one time. So... I, I can appreciate that to an extent, but it should be more of a balance, I think, between the two, where if you really want something, you can buy it. But for the people that want to just play the game, they can play the game. Yeah, and I think that could work in, in RPGs that would probably work better than it does in a shooter. Mm-hmm. Because you're staring down the barrel of this person who has purchased everything, and you have your little pea shooter that's the first weapon that you're given in the game, and you're never going to win that fight. Right. Right. Yeah. Here's my little plus two dagger that I found. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, now you, uh, so you, uh, you play, you play the team games, but you play some stuff on your own because I know that you're a fan of silent Hill and that's, yes. that's, you can't do anything team oriented in that. Can you? No, I still like a good single player game. Um, that's where you're going to get a story. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get so much of a story in a multiplayer game. I mean, it's just chaos and everyone trying to kill each other. You have to kind of, I think, go single player to get a rich story and get developed characters and all of those things. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, you can't in a multiplayer game, you're going to design your own characters. So they can't write you a backstory. They don't even know if you're going to be a guy or a girl. Right. But in uh, in a game like Silent Hill, you have more ability. The game itself, is, is the game experience better? Because since they're not hosting all these people live, they can put more into the game with graphics and music and things? Yeah, you're probably going to get a little smoother ride. You're not worried about lag. You're not worried about a couple of things that can be kind of game-breaking experiences. I had some really bad nights on Battlefront when my internet connection wasn't good. Like, why is nobody falling down? I shot him in the face 15 times. Well, <laughs> not on his screen, I didn't. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, and, and if it's not in sync, that doesn't help at all. Monster Hunter is a really unique way of working around that, and that is they will sync up only the large monsters. Mm-hmm. So it can be a little bit weird when you're watching somebody fight nothing because on your <laughs> right. screen, you, you don't see the thing that they're fighting, but it keeps that weird lag stuff from happening. Yeah. Yeah. They just look like they're going spastic for some reason. Yeah. I know. I know he's fighting something on his screen. It just looks like he's fighting air on mine, but the, it, it's kind of, I almost prefer that over why am I shooting this person in the face and nothing is happening. Well, yeah, because if you're if you're not interacting with it, it's easier because you're you're not uh, trying to coordinate anything and just let him do his thing. And then when you're done, you guys will go on and you'll fight the big one together. Uh, but when you're trying to do something that's, you know, affecting both people. Yeah, that's got to be frustrating. I would not like that. Yeah. And especially for someone like me, because I'm not really good at these shooters to begin with. So now you've just given me like a kind of greater handicap. Right. Yeah. In that game, I would tend to go for the MVP role because the MVP role was what you would get when you did the most things to help the team. Mm -hmm. So I would always try to slide into that role. Like, I'm going to try to go for the objective because I'm not so great at shooting people in the face. Well, I think there's something to be said for that. Now, when you... So how often do you stream then live these days? Uh, It kind of depends on what I'm playing. If I'm playing something like Battlefront, I'll stream it every night. Oh, wow. Okay. You don't have like a set schedule. You just kind of do it when you want. No, whenever I feel like it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, the last week, I've actually been watching my friend play Devil May Cry. I didn't buy that one this time, and I'm not really sure why I didn't. I might still do it, but I kind of felt like watching him play it because it's it's like watching a maestro, you know, conduct right. an orchestra, and it, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. So the last week, I've I've been watching his stream. Yeah, that can be fun, and and uh, it's interesting. I don't know much about that game at all. The only uh, connection I have to it is that some friends of mine uh, wrote the song. I think it was called Devil Trigger. Mm. For that, and they uh, it, it just like blew up on iTunes. I think they were number one in several countries. I was going to say, and... like in my group chat, everyone was talking about buying that soundtrack. So I feel like that must be a really good one. It could be. The, they did a really amazing video for it that they shot in L.A. because uh, they they live out in California, and uh, it was it just yeah it just exploded. And I I'd never heard of the game. I didn't know anything about it, but uh, I thought they did a great job with the song and the video was really impressive. And you know you always you you love when your friends are successful. And that I mean getting number one on iTunes that's just as good as it's going to get. Yeah, that, that's a difficult game. So that one's probably not so mainstream. There there's a certain skill level generally required to play that game. Oh, okay. So that's not for beginners. No, you're not just going to pick it up and run with it generally. Mm-hmm. I didn't play this one, so I can't really speak to its difficulty level. But in the previous incarnations of it, that one's a little more tough. It's right. not so forgiving. What about a game like Kingdom Hearts? Is that one that you play? I haven't played that, and I can't really tell you why, because it, it it seems like it is a game that I should have played. And one of my guys I game with, is he loves it. Well, I think the the attraction, obviously, is that it's it's connected to all these things that you're familiar with. 
you know, that, that whether it's things in movies that we've seen or what, um, it's, it's kind of like you're now a part of all these worlds that you've always enjoyed as a, as a viewer. But I will oddly get into our the Lego games. I can get so madly addicted to those. They are just mindless fun. If you really want to relax and de-stress, like mm. those are a great game to pop in. You're not going to want to throw your controller at any point during that experience. It's just kind of fun. Right. Well, it's it's all cute, right? It's there's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's action, but it's not violent. No violence. I mean, you, the little pieces break apart and come back together. That's about as much as you're going to get in there. Okay. Is there any particular ones you like? Because I know that they have a lot that are uh, movie-themed. I play all of them. I've, I think I've played every one they've put out. Wow. They're just I know they're for kids, but that's just a solid good time. I just know that that game's never going to stress me. That's Well, that's the thing, right? That's the real escape. If you, if you want to escape because you're feeling like, I just need to blow stuff up, and you've had you know a tough day or, or whatever, and, and it's great to have games for that. But it's great to just have, you know what, I just want to have a nice relaxing night and just have some fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And when you're playing a survival horror game, you're you're obviously going to spend some time tense. Yeah. Maybe that's not always what you feel like doing after work. Right. Because you want to come home and relax. You don't want to come home and have more tension. So, yeah, lately I've been just trying to, I've been playing through Resident Evil here and there and trying to finish up that the last trophy on Monster Hunter, which I I think I've been working on that for almost a year now. Wow. It'll happen one night. I don't know when that night's going to be, but I'm looking for one random thing to happen, and I just can't get it to happen. But you'll, but you'll keep at it, and you'll hit it. I, I have all the confidence. I'll get it. That one requires you to get all of the smallest and the largest monsters in each maybe category, and I'm down to just needing one large one. And this one large one has been harder to get than all of the other ones combined. Really? Well, it's because it's the last one, right? Which, you know, it's, it's Monster Hunter. I'm expecting that. The first Monster Hunter, it took me this long to make a set of armor. It took six months to make a set of armor in that game. So wow, this is the thing this time. It's going to be that. And I'm, I'm going to do it because I took it down to one. I have to finish it now. Well, now it's a mission, right? Now you're just yeah. like, I'm not going to let this defeat me. It has to happen now. <laughs> You'll get it. You'll get it. Now, you you and I uh, talked about some interesting things before uh, we rec- started recording, and I did not realize that one of the challenges that you've had in life is that you were adopted. I was. How old were you when you found out? Um, I always knew. So I have this absolutely beautiful, wonderful woman as a mother, and I, I couldn't have chosen better for myself. I, the level of luck I have in this situation is huge. And she just kind of always knew that it would be better to not drop a bomb one day. Mm-hmm. So she, the way she told me, and, and it must have been extremely positive because I do have memories of being maybe around the five-year-old range and feeling sorry for children who were not adopted because I thought like, well, my mom looked at me and said, I want you specifically. And everyone else just ended up wherever they ended up. That's a good point. So in my head, I, I felt sorry for people that didn't get chosen. That must have been, I mean, to be told at such an early age and to have such a great attitude about it, did it ever bother you at any point during your life? No, no. I think I, I always knew that, that I had a teenage mother, and I, I kind of always knew that that probably wouldn't have been a good environment for me. Mm. Did she know your, your birth mother? No, no. We're still actually right now trying to find this woman, um, and, and I'm really not expecting that we're going to. And if we do, it's probably not going to be good news. Mm-hmm. Um, this story ended up to be so much more twisted than I just always assumed I was the product of two teenagers in a backseat that didn't have protection. 
okay. that was not the case. That was not at all the case. That's oh. not what was going on. Um, I had a, a biological father who just really had an affinity for young girls, and he ran through as many of them as he could. Oh, I see. I have a half-sister that is less than two months younger than me. Wow. I always also assumed that I was the oldest of the siblings. I'm the second from youngest. The one that's two months younger than me is the only one that's younger than me. Uh, my father was not a teenager. He was a 30-year-old married man. Huh. He was a drug dealer, and he used to like to pick up very young girls, of which my mother, at 15 years old, was one of them. Wow. So I definitely ended up in a better place than I would have been. Absolutely, yeah. The cool thing that came out of this is, like, my father might not have been a, a stand-up guy or a good person, but his family, they're, they're wonderful people. I did an ancestry DNA test. My mother forced me to do this. She's been wanting me to find my biological family since I was 18. Mm-hmm. And I just, it's not that I wasn't interested. I just guess I didn't even know where to start. Right. Well, we didn't have the path flows back then that we have now. I mean, now there's no. so much that's accessible to us, like genealogy. So a couple of years ago for my birthday, she buys me the ancestry kit mm-hmm. and just kind of stands there smiling at me until I do it. <laughs> and that's what started this whole thing. No pressure at all. The first person that came up as a relative for me is, is my wonderful cousin, Cheryl, and she is really into genealogy. So I went from a family tree with just me in it to now I have one with over 2,000 people in it. Wow. And Cheryl has done this all on her own just because she, she knows how and she finds it interesting. So she, she did find um, she found my paternal side maybe about a year in. Wow. And I've, I've contact with them now. I have these beautiful nieces that, that I love talking to, and I have this whole family that didn't even exist. Right. Is it, is it weird getting to know them now as, as people that you're so closely connected with, or is it more like you're just friends or, or people that you've met uh, like you would any other people. You know, it's interesting because uh, one of my nieces, I just instantly had this affinity for. I don't know what it is about her. When I when I even looked through her Facebook, because I, I looked at all of them before I contacted them, because I, I really didn't want to, I didn't know. I didn't know anything about them. So I didn't want to bust up somebody's family and be like, whoa, here, I'm your mistake from the past that you may not have told anybody about. Right, yeah. So I, I watched them for a long time before my niece took the DNA test and found me. It's just been that, that journey. I feel like I could write a book about because it was just one interesting revelation after the other. And then one day I wake up and I have a message from a girl going, I was adopted, you know, as a baby. And I think I'm your sister. Can you help me find out where I belong? And, and me going, what? <laughs> where do you even start? And then trying to navigate how to tell her all these things I had found out without breaking her heart, because I had yeah. months and months and months to kind of, process all this information i was going to give it to her all at once yeah and that that really brings the interesting question because it's kind of like you shouldn't ask a question that you're not prepared to hear the answer to right so when it comes to this it's not just a matter of what you're going to find out but then it's whether you actually choose to reach out or somebody Mm -hmm. chooses to reach out to you and you choose to respond because you really don't know what you're getting into no not at all and, you know, these things can go really well and they can go really poorly. Right. I've been in a lot of support groups just to kind of see what the range of things that happened were. That way I could be prepared for them. Mm-hmm. I've had a really great experience. Like everybody's been really happy to meet me. 
Well, yeah. And I'm sure once they get to know you, then obviously they're going to be even happier. But were you the first one to reach out to someone or did somebody see you and reach out to you first? I did reach out to my half-brother first through my cousin. Okay. But the nieces, I let come to me. Like, so, but once you were on that tree, sort of, then people could see you and then make their own decision. Yeah, once I told him, I figured he would ask his mother or my biological father was dead. Uh, He died in a car accident, also with a young girl in the car with him because he he literally never stopped doing that. But he, he died when he was 40 years old. So he's been gone since the 80s. Right, okay. Which I find very comforting because I don't think that I would have any nice things to say to him, even right. though he did make this whole wonderful family that I, I get to kind of, you know, I get to know these people now and they're really all so great. And, you know, right. none of them would exist if, if he didn't do what he did. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing because sometimes good things come out of bad things. And you you really just try your best to let go of the bad things and enjoy the good things in life because whatever happened, he did it and it's done and you can't go back and change it, you know? Yeah, and, and he did it and nobody else did it. Nobody else is responsible for what he did. Um, I'm not going to take that on myself. I didn't right. do it. I'm just the product of it. So yeah, for myself, I don't like feel like I'm a reflection of him, even though I, I have to say that I am his his exact image. This man pretty much cloned himself with me. Wow. His face is my face. Well, he must have been very pretty then. He actually was a, he was a good looking dude. That's how he got away with a lot of stuff. Well, you'd have to think so, right? Because that's, you know, if, if you're somebody that's not attractive, you're not going to be able to get that many girls like, like he did. Now, his wife did say she would like to talk to me because she just, she can't get over how much I look like him. And she kind of wants to know if I have any of his personality too. And I'm I'm going to do that for her, but um, I can already tell her that I do not, I do not have his personality because he did things that I would be incapable of doing. Right. I, I'm not quick witted. I'm not good at picking, at, like, picking people up or roaming the town. Like I, I like to stay in my house. Right. Yeah. I already know I don't have his personality. I had to, uh, I, I was in a play last year and, oh my gosh, it was last year already. Uh, and one of the things that I had to do in this play was I had to hit on these invisible girls at, at a carnival. And when the director t- told me that he wanted me to do that, I'm like, I don't, I don't do that in real life. I don't even know how to do that. You know, I'm, I'm yep. a fairly introverted, shy person. Uh, yes. and it was, it was incredibly awkward for me to, uh, get through that part of it every night. Fortunately, it was at the beginning of the show, but I, I see what you're saying. It's, it's so not your character to be Mm-mm. that going out of your way in those kind of activities. Yeah. Yeah. I just couldn't do that. I couldn't run the town and like, it just, it wouldn't even be comfortable for me. I couldn't sell drugs. I'm way too nervous to do such things. Like it's just, right. there are certain personality markers I think you need to have to do those things. And I, I don't have them. And it, it's interesting because, you know, you and I, we grew up just outside Detroit, which is, especially at the time, even there was a lot of drugs going on. If I went to, you know, a record store that was down on, you know, like uh, Nine Mile and Harper, I would get offered drugs and things like that. And uh, that was kind of a, a thing. So for us to have been able to avoid getting into that world, I think that is a is a pretty big statement about our character and why we wouldn't be able to comprehend doing those kind of things. Yeah. So I'm going to go meet the rest of my family um, next month. My great nephew's birthday is when I will actually, I'm going to go and just kind of 
see what happens. Do you, are you nervous about it or because you've been in communication, do you feel kind of comfortable? I feel okay with it because I've already hung out with my nieces a couple times. Oh, okay. I definitely wouldn't have been able to do it this way as a first meeting. I'm better one-on-one than I am in a group and this is a big group. So it will be a little bit overwhelming, but like I've already hung out with them enough times that I feel like it's okay. Yeah. And it's tough because you're going to be the center of attention, which is going to be, which that's awkward for you anyway. I'm definitely going to be the curiosity in the room. Yeah, for sure. But but was it what was it like when you first actually reached out? Was there a real element of, of nervousness or did you just say, you know yeah. what, I'm going to do this and it goes how it goes? That was definitely my feeling. Like I had to, you don't know if it's going to be good or bad unless you find out. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really kind of expecting this to go opposite though. I, I thought that maybe I wouldn't even be so interested in my paternal side. I thought it was going to be my maternal side that, that I was really going to fixate on. And I, I can't find this woman. Like she's just gone. Wow. She's disappeared off all public records pretty much right after she gave me up for adoption. Well, I would imagine though, it had to be incredibly difficult for her to do that. And I, you know, you have to know that it's not a reflection on you or anything that you did because she didn't even get to know you or, or your personality or anything, you know, that, but it still has to be a little, I don't think that she even lived very long after that. Um, when I'm reading articles about what her home life was like, it was not good, which kind of shows you how she would fall prey to, you know, a drug dealer looking for a young girl because nobody was really looking after her. Right. There right. were people having nice fights in her house. Her mom was out drinking and they were left there alone. There's these newspaper articles on this family and it's just, it, it just doesn't look good on either side. That's so sad that, that any child should have to have that environment in their life, that they should even ever have to understand that environment. We can only find her in the Algonac yearbook and only for the years 71 and 72. And then there is no further record of her existence. Wow. So not, you haven't been able to find a death certificate though, either? Nothing, nothing on her. And my cousin is, she's subscribed to every possible thing she can as far as doing research for this. Mm-hmm. So if she can't find a person, I have to believe that that person's not in existence anymore. Right. Yeah. Especially nowadays, because they've, they've been able to go back and put so much in, in the way of records online just for things like Ancestry.com. We're kind of assuming that she's a runaway at that point. Mm-hmm. There is an article in 1975 that her mother is talking about her house flooding all the time. And it says that she has her son in the house with her. So by then, my mother is not living in that house anymore. Okay. Because they list all the members of the house and she's not one of them. So somewhere between 72 and 75, she disappeared. Well, and and it would make sense that if she had run away, she would have changed her name and identity somehow. Exactly. So I I really hope she's out there somewhere and I hope it worked out okay for her. Like, I, I really do hope that. Yeah. I feel just like, feel like everybody let her down. Yeah. And that's so frustrating because no one deserves that. No. And I don't even know if she wanted to give me up. I don't know if she had any other alternative. Like, I don't even know what her mental state would have been. Right. I feel very, very bad for her. But she was probably a teenager then when she had you. She was, yeah, she was 15. 15. Yeah. I mean, how are you supposed to know what to do with your life at 15? And if you don't have any Especially adults, with no support. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know. I hope she hitchhiked to California and, you know, lived a great life or something. I, I really hope that's what happened. I hope so too. And, and, uh, it's a, sh- I feel like it's a, it's a real shame that she didn't get to know you at some point. And, and who knows? I mean, it's still possible. 
But yeah, I have someone looking for her right now. I actually just went through the court system and I'm I'm asked them to unseal my records. I at least want to know if I found the right person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's and it's cool that we can do that, that we have access to to be able to do those kind of things these days. So yeah, I've got a confidential informant out right now and she's get she gets up to 6 months to find this woman and if she can't find her, then she's just going to give me my papers and I'll at least know that we found the right name. Wow. Well, I wish you the absolute best of luck with that and with the, and with the the meeting too, because I think that that's going to be a, a pretty interesting thing. I have to give you props for reaching out. I don't know that I I would, and I know that you were kind of pushed to do it, but I don't know that I would want to know. I mean, if if people haven't been in my life, like I look at family as the people, not that I'm related to, but the people that I uh, have in my group. You know, the people that I love yes. that love me that I support and support me. Um, some are blood related and some aren't, but that to me is what family is. So I've never really been big on the genealogy thing, but I, I have respect for people that are willing to to look it up because you're, you're really taking a chance on it being as painful as it is glorious. I really only thought I was going to find out maybe what my nationalities were. The chances of the first person that finding me being this cousin of mine, that's a genealogist are just astounding. Yeah. If not for her, I wouldn't have gone any further with it because I, I didn't even know how to go anywhere with it. Right. Although it would have been a lot worse when I got that message from my sister, which still would have happened in either course of events. I wouldn't have known what to do with that without my cousin. Yeah. Well, I mean, but how would she have found you? Right. She still would have found me through that test, still would have told her we were half sisters, but I wouldn't have known where to where to refer her after that. We would have both just been like, oh, my God. Right. Yeah. Now what do we do? Stuck in that. Right. Yeah. Well, and I, and I have to give her props too, because not only did she go through the trouble and and she found you, but it it has to take a lot of inner strength to actually reach out. I mean, it's one thing to think about it and it's one thing to go, oh, it would be nice or I wonder what or, or that, but to actually take that action really has to have some resolve in you to be able to do that. And I'll give my sister a lot more credit there than, than I would give myself because I'm always doing this through my cousin. She sends every message for me that way. I, cause people sometimes it's worried you like you're trying to get their money or something. It's really yeah. strange. The things that people will be concerned with. And even though you legally, you legally can't do that when you're adopted, your familial ties to the people you're related to are legally cut. Right. So if my father was a billionaire, I would be entitled to zero dollars of it because I'm not legally how would you even know that they have money? Right. You know, but you're right. People that have something nice tend to safeguard it. And uh, that's, they're usually paranoid about somebody trying to take it from them. Every person that we have contacted on my mother's side of the family has clammed right up and um, stopped answering us. Really? There's been probably five different people on that side and nobody is, no, they'll, they'll answer once and then they'll never answer again. So I feel like there's some scandal there that they don't want to talk about, but I honestly just want to know where I came from and wish they would just tell me the truth. Yeah. And what, and we, I can't imagine there's a reason not to, because whatever happened is in the past and yes. it's not going to change. So why do you not have a right to know? It's not like you said, you know what? I don't like you people. I'm leaving. I want to go live with another family. You weren't given right. a choice. I just want to know what happened to the woman who gave birth to me, especially now that I really kind of know what happened to her to cause that. Right. I mean, she got preyed on by this older man. And then and then what? Like, it's so unsatisfying to not know what happened after that. 
Right. And and you want to hear the happy ending. You want to know that she got out at least, at least know that. I'm really hoping for her. But if she's gone, I'd like to know that too. Do I have any other siblings? Did she have any other children? I mean, these are things, for me, I was interested in siblings. I always wanted a sister. And I just had a brother. So that was my driving thing. I wasn't really looking for parents. I was looking for siblings. Right. I do have to wonder, though, as, as with the technology and everything that we have, how these kind of things are going to change for people that are born now. You know, is there always going to be a, uh, for, for most people that aren't just like dropped off at a church or an orphanage, is there always going to be some sort of path where this isn't a necessary thing other than reaching out where you're actually going to know because the information is just available? Adoption law changed, and I would have to um, research to see if this was statewide or nationwide, but I know in my case, in 1980, they changed adoption law. So if you're born prior to 1980, you have to do what I'm doing and ask permission to have your records, which is this whole confidential informant thing. They have to go say, can Pam look at her records? If they can't find anyone to ask that, they're going to give them to me. But if they do find them, they can tell me no. And then they'll come back and tell me, no, you may not see your records. Wow. If you're born after 1980, they will unseal your records after you're 18. No questions asked. You do not need this permission anymore. So screw you for being born before 1980. Way to go. I think they realized at that point that people were entitled to know not only where they came from, but their medical history. So they adjusted the law to be more fair. Well, I, yeah, I get that. But why why not back that to if you were born and not restrict it to a certain year? Because whether you were born in 79 or 80, you would still have the, the same right to know your your, especially your medical history. And what I'm going to guess is that maybe you were guaranteed some certain confidentiality before then and that they didn't feel okay breaking it. And this is just a guess because I think that everyone is entitled to know where they came from. Now I'm not entitled to harass these people or bother them or belong in their lives, Sure, but I am entitled to know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the difference is maybe, you know, the, the ability to communicate. I think everybody should have the right to reach out and if they refuse it, then you have to respect that. And I yes, think and that's the key thing. A lot of people won't. Yeah, you really do have to respect that. And it was one of the things I wrote in my note, that if you want no contact with me, you will have no contact with me. Right. If you started this wonderful, beautiful life with people who don't know about this, I certainly don't want to mess it up. Yeah. Well, that's the other fear is you don't, you know, like when I said you don't know what you're getting into, not just for you, but you don't know what can of worms you're opening for them. Uh, introducing yourself either. Social media makes that a little bit easier because I, I did stalk every member of my family before contacting them. Mm-hmm. I just kind of, you know, saw what they were about and were they, did anybody do any little things like I do? And I have a little great nephew now who he posts things and I, and it's like, wow, there's my personality. I like that. I, like that. I see it. I see it in my niece and I see it in one of my great nephews. Well, you know, what's really interesting about that, and I'm, I'm not a scientist, and there's times where with questions like this, I kind of wish I was, but when you meet somebody that you've had no connection to other than DNA, and you see similar character traits, now physical traits, I, I would understand, but you see certain character traits, it makes you wonder, doesn't it, how much is our DNA in, in who we are versus how much... Uh, do we develop by life experience? I would say through my experience that both of them matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I was raised by people who were like June and Ward Cleaver. I myself am not like that. 
And it didn't matter how much they were like that or how much they stressed that. That was not who I could be because that's not who I was. Right. At the same time, you look at where I came from and we have a lot of drug deaths and drug use and a lot of stuff going on over there. And I'm not that person either. Right. So you can see where nurture did overtake nature there, but it couldn't overtake it completely. It's kind of an interesting thing. It is. I I think that's one of the most fascinating things about trying to discover who we are. Uh, there's some things that that seem really consistent. Like I'm not a huge believer in astrological signs because I don't think everybody that's born in July is a certain way and everybody that's born in June is a certain way. But when I read my astrological sign, there is so much that really does seem to connect without stretching it, you know, without me trying yes. to make things fit. There is a lot that it seems to be true. Yeah. Um, one of my nieces has my exact skeleton. Like she is my body, if if you put a level on us on our heads, it would the bubble would be in the middle. Wow. And she also has some of my like nervous tics. Really? So like I'm sitting here one day when they're coming over and I tell my boyfriend, I'm just feeling really nervous right now. And he's like, what is wrong with you? Because I'm just thinking, oh, he doesn't understand. He's not adopted, blah, blah, blah. And they get here and her boyfriend is telling the story about how halfway there she got really nervous and he had to talk her down. Wow. And my boyfriend's like, yeah, that's your relative. Uh, it happened to us at the same moments in time. Wow. That's that's definitely all fascinating. Um, my, I definitely recognized her as being my relative, too. Like, you ever see a woman pick up a little baby and kind of smell them? Because they have that wonderful... I did that to my niece. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of like my body recognizes that this thing is like, is like it. Right. Like, that this thing came from the same place. Um, I'm not usually really good with people the first time I meet them, but that was the most organic thing ever. Well, yeah. And there's, because you're so similar and probably because you share so much of the same DNA and, and, and ticks and all, uh, there's probably an immediate camaraderie that you just get with people like that, that because you feel like maybe somebody understands you a little bit better, even though you've just met them. And the level that she understands me is so interestingly great because I was supposed to meet her on St. Patrick's Day. She was doing a marathon and I was going to go down to Detroit. Well, she actually texted me when she got there and said, no, don't come. There are way too many people down here. It's a madhouse. Oh, yeah. She's like, I'm telling you right now, just stay home. I don't want you to stress. She, I hate large crowds. Yeah. So she kind of like picked up on that and understood it. And she also told me when we, when we go to the, you know, my nephew's birthday party, you're going to come to my house so that you can walk in with me. And that was a whole nother layer of understanding how an introvert works, like that she's not going to make me walk through the front door alone. I like that. I think clearly she thinks the same way I do because she's figured out the things that I'm most concerned about without me telling them to her. Well, and, and you know, it, it, it's tough for introverts to find somebody to connect with because the whole thing is we really don't want to interact that much no. or, or only interact with people that we've deemed uh, okay or safe to interact with. Exactly that. It's hard to find somebody that understands that because the whole point of it is not being found. Yes. Yeah. If she is, um, she is a safe person, and I had to, you know, I didn't tell them some things, and I'm sure I will. But the the, the day I found out that their mother was dead uh, was before I even knew they existed, and it was one of the most devastating pieces of knowledge that happened with this whole thing because I had this sister that I was never going to get to meet, and I always wanted a sister, and she died when I was 30. And I didn't even know she existed. To get these two girls out of this was like priceless. Yeah. I didn't get to meet her, but these pieces of her are still here for me. Yeah. 
but that's what I said about, you know, when, when, if you're going to ask a question, you have to be ready to hear whatever the answer is going to be. And that's the downside to all of this is finding out that there's people that you might have, have loved to have known and you won't get the chance to because you just found out they existed and now they're there and they're already gone. Uh, that's got to be one of the harder parts to, to deal with, I would think. But you have to be prepared for that going in. You really do. And, and I was. Thankfully, I was. I had read enough stories of people being rejected and, and, and things that I, I really kind of understood the range of possibility. Yeah. And it's why now I can, I can you know, easily say to you, because if, if I would have talked to you at the beginning of this process, talking about finding my biological mother not alive would might not have been something I could handle. And now I just, it's kind of more of like an expectation. Well, and that's, that's the, the best way to protect yourself, I would think, too, is to be ready for the worst news. And if you get that, then you're prepared. It's still going to be a shock, but you're prepared. And then if you get anything else, you can only be happy that you've gotten something that's not that. Yeah, my advice to anyone else doing this would be to really make sure that you have realistic expectations. Like, it's not going to be a fairy tale. Right, yeah. Stop watching Hollywood movies and think that it's all going to work out like that. Um Last question on this. So what is, and I would imagine it's going to be different for everybody, but what's really the length of the process that you've been through? How long has it been since you first started this? It's been a good three years for me. Um, Conversely, when my sister showed up, my cousin was able to locate her mother within three days. Wow, that's fast. So I think some people are just better at hiding than other people. Right. Wow. So be prepared for a long haul. Be prepared to be patient and be prepared for whatever you might find. You may not be, you know, they may not want to know about you. It could be anything. They might not. They could have moved on. And, you know, you have to let people because you, you can't. I, I think that, and I've noticed that most of the people that do have the, the real hard time with this are people that, that maybe didn't have the best relationship with their adoptive parents. And so they're looking for replacements. And I was never looking for a replacement. Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of times I think it's, there's the people that are curious and then there's the other people who are desperate. There's, they're not satisfied and they're looking for something to fill that gap or, or find an understanding that you may not find, you know, you, you, in your case, you may have found some wonderful people, but that still may never give you an answer to what actually happened. Yeah. And I went into this and all I wanted was just one person. Like I just thought if I get one person out of this, I'm going to be happy. And I got that immediately with my cousin. Right. I hit it. I hit it off with her immediately too. So like after that, I even told her there's not even any rush. I'm quite content just knowing you. Yeah. And then I ended up with these nieces and they're, they're just so amazing. I really can't wait to see them again. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm really glad that some very positive things have come from this. And of course I wish you the best on, on the rest of your search. And I I do hope that you get some answers and, so that you can just put your mind at ease one way or another on it. Um, before we go, and I appreciate you talking about this too. It's not something I've, I've talked about on the show or even had intended to until you and I were talking earlier. Um, but I, I really have great respect for the resolve and, and for the strength that you must have to be able to do this because that I just can't see that as being an easy thing no matter what. Yeah, it's, um, you're going to probably run the full spectrum of emotions on that one at some point. Yeah, I would think so. Well, before we go, I wanted to ask you about something else. Uh, you haven't done a lot of it as far as I know, but you have done some modeling, have you not? Ah, uh, yes, that was a hobby of mine. Okay. How did you get into that? 
Uh, honestly, that's a that's a really interesting story. I worked with a hairdresser who was just a wonderful photographer. So um, he had done it, I think, when he was younger, and he had designed some hats. And this guy is just full of talent; like he's just made of it. So he wanted to get back in photography, and I just flat out told him, "You know, I'm actually quite photogenic. Why don't you just play around with me?" And he did, and that's what started it. So I got signed to a modeling agency from his photos, and so did he. Wow, that's pretty rare that both people get signed. I just wanted a hobby because I'm not going to compete with other women for anything. I'm just not. Right. Um, he is now taking photographs in Paris. Wow. So his career really kind of launched off that, us playing around in, the, in, in his living room. Do you think that if you had wanted to really pursue it and, and turn it into a career, do you think that you would have had... Uh, found the opportunities for that, especially with, with knowing if I had done success? It, well, if I would have done it when I was young, when my mother wanted me to, yeah. Uh, I was never tall enough, but I would have been great in print ads. In print ads, you generally want a smaller girl because that can of Coke is going to look much bigger in my hand. Right, yeah. I, I just, I didn't want, the, I didn't want, even as a young teenager knew that that competitive about looks, whole world was going to be poison to me. It's a tough life. I mean, it's it's something that you really have to have so much love for to be able to look past all of those things and realize that most people aren't going to care what you think. They're going to care what you look like or who you're wearing. Yeah, it's just too shallow for me. And then this whole watching your weight. And I just wanted to live my life. I, I didn't. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a healthy environment for young girls to be in. And yet it's only young girls that get those jobs. Right. Right. Yeah. So I was in my 30s. I was kind of way past my expiration date. I still do some body modeling because since I do spend enough time in the gym, my body looks 20 years older than my face. So now they just cut my head off. Oh, well, that's friendly. Um, <laughs> but see, that's that's the thing. Like, I, I hate the fact that, that we have to be so perfect and everything has to be so flawless. I want real. You know, I want a real world. Yes. The best ad I saw lately was for some kind of workout gear, but they didn't Photoshop the cellulite out of the girl's thigh. And I I was so blown away by that that I actually ordered a pair of their leggings. Really? Wow. We have to start showing people how they really look. We really, really do. And one thing I was always really proud of in my modeling is that I was never Photoshopped. Now, I'm not going to say I wasn't, that the pictures weren't retouched, but my face was never altered. Nobody ever made my cheekbones more angular and my lips more fuller. He left my face alone. He might have thrown a little more makeup on me or something like that, but he never changed. I I never don't look like myself. I remember one uh, picture, and I think it might be on, on social media, where you had really, really huge hair, though. Yes, that was him. We were just talking about that picture the other day, too. Oh, really? Okay. I think that yeah, was the first he and I one were I just saw. sitting down talking about that. So that one, I've also, he's, if you look really close in my big hair, you can see that he's taken two Band-Aids and taped my forehead up to give my eyebrows that arch. Oh, we okay. Use filters. We actually did it in real time. Mm-hmm. And the direction for that photo was always one of my favorites because he told me, I just want you to look at me like you just been out on a coke bender all night. So I had to kind <laughs> of imagine what I thought that would be. I've never done it, so I don't really have a reference point. Right, yeah. Just just ch- channel your inner Courtney Love and you're good to go. Right. And that's actually what I thought. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do Courtney Love because that's the most drugged out person I can think of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was a good choice. That, that's, that's interesting that I picked that too. 
Um, so yeah, that was that looked like it was a it was a fun shoot though because it, it when I look at at pictures I try and think of when they were created, and it it definitely looked like a relaxed fun environment. It didn't look pretentious. It was just very let's just do this kind of feel to it. And you can tell that like he and I had a very you know we already had a working knowledge of each other. I, I met him when I was nineteen years old, so I'm I'm probably around thirty when these pictures are being taken. We've known each other for a long time at this point, so major comfort level. I actually moved eight streets away from him. He's one of the reasons I moved out to the side of town. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, we're neighbors now. Oh, that's convenient, though, if you ever want to do some more work. Yep. So he'll bring me in to do hair for some photo shoots, and then I, we're going to do one. I'm going to be in another one soon. We're going to do one for my salon, and, and he's going to use me. And we're going to try to use my great nephew, who he got my face, but better. Okay. He's prettier than I ever was. So I'm actually... <laughs> He's still a teenager. I kind of want to suck him into this now, if he's if it, if he's interested in it. He won't face the same things as a guy that a girl would. That's very true. I mean, I'm sure there are still some pressures, but it's it's always sure. going to be different, you know. And I kind of feel like I have a little bit of control of this situation since I trust this photographer. He's not going to do anything weird to my nephew. Right. Well, and that's something that when I've had models on the show before, um, we've talked about, you know, how to know or how to vet the people that you're going to go on a photo shoot with, you especially if it's in your house. Or, yeah, you really do. Um, obviously, you've, you've, you're comfortable with this person. You've known them for a long time. You've, you've had a lot of work and experience with them. So it's, it's a good controlled opportunity for him if he's interested in doing it. Yes. And I will, you know, I'll be there for him every time and I'll navigate the things for him because I've been in this world long enough now that I feel like I can do that. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I'm excited for all of this and I, I love that you're still doing it. Uh, I, I think it's great that anybody that has the strength to do those kinds of things, because it really does take a certain, uh, again, a, a certain element of strength to be in front of a camera, to allow those pictures to go out there into the world for people to see them, because we're so judged on every little thing that we do nowadays and because there's that uh, element of everything has to be perfect, if you're not, people just jump all over it. And that's why we end up with people committing suicide because they think they're not good enough for society or, or you know, uh, starting to, you know, come down with bulimia and things like that. Um, and, and that's not all cases, but there's so much of that is brought on by these ridiculous social pressures to be perfect instead of just being real. Yeah. And those pictures actually did get found by the people that I used to game with. And they did, you know, oh, look at how she arches her eyebrows. Like they just tore me up one side and down the other. But I thought it was hilarious. It didn't hurt me the way that they intended. I just thought, oh, you're so jealous. I mean, were they trying to be hurtful or were they just being playful? Yeah, yeah. They were. Like, I, I don't think they expected me to look that way. I wasn't supposed to look that way. In their heads, they had created this thing that they could hate. And I wasn't supposed to look like that. Oh, these are the people that were already antagonistic. Yes. Oh, I thought you meant like your friends that were in your group. Yeah, no, th and one of one of my friends in my group actually told me he lived in Sterling Heights, so we actually hang out on the regular now. Oh, cool. Isn't that amazing of all the places in the world, because you can do what you do anywhere in the world at any time of day or night, that you find somebody that's that close. I'll give you another little interesting thing, and I, and I wish somebody could study this, because I picked all these people out just by whether or not they were cool in games. Mm -hmm. I, I can't see them. I can't hear them even at this point. Um, I have zero white people in my gaming group. Really? I am the only one. Hmm. I've got everybody represented. I always say we're like the like the United Colors of Benetton. 
I wonder if there's just certain traits in certain cultures, maybe? This is what I'm wondering. Like, why this whole over 10 years of me collecting people that I like, why are none of them a white guy? That is very interesting. You know, and I, and I hate to think about things like stereotypes and all that, but they do exist. And mm-hmm. it, to be fair, stereotypes are typically created by repetitious activity from whatever the stereotype is created, whether it's a race or a, a, a nationality or whatever it is, unless you get into the Hollywood stuff where every Italian guy is a mobster and that sort of thing that's right. ridiculous. But but like certain people will do certain things and it's usually a, an ethnic group or, or you know, somebody that's from a certain neighborhood because they all grow up together and they learn those behaviors together. So there is something to be said for it. And maybe there's just certain qualities that work in that gaming world that you were just like, yeah, those are the people I want. Yeah, I just kind of feel like these other marginalized groups realize that a female is a marginalized group in this world. And so maybe we should band together. Yeah, kind of like, you know, a group of misfits. Yes. Yeah. And it's, they're wonderful. Like, my life would not be as good as it is without these people in it. We've all met in, you know, in person. Um, my friend from Texas, he's going to come up and stay a week at the end of May. Like, these are solid friendships now. Well, you're talking over a period of how many years, though? We're going over 10 years now. Yeah, that's a long time. And, you know, it may sound weird to say, but gaming together really builds a bond that I don't think is quite created in any other environment. It's like when people no, work true. together at a, at a business that just is horrible, but you all band together uh, and you get you get each other through the day. You know, I think it's something along those lines. Yeah, like we survived all these battles together. Right. You know, they they went through my divorce with me. These guys have been through some stuff with me. See, that's, that takes it to a whole nother level of camaraderie too when you go through the, the toughest times in somebody's personal life. And, you know, everybody stuck by. Well, I'm glad that you found a great group of people. Your life is definitely exciting. There's there's no doubt about that. And then in between all of this, you cut hair. Sometimes I cut hair. <laughs> well, Pamela, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I, I'm really excited that, that you're going to get through this quest and you're going to finish this game. You're going to do what you need to do and get your badge. And it's going to be an exciting time. Please let us know when you hit that. Send us a screenshot. Will do. Excellent. Well, we will talk to you again soon. And thank you for all the interesting information. Um, I'm sure that a lot of people are inspired by those stories. And uh, if you're if you're on the fence about finding people, you know, the only thing that I can say is uh, time gets shorter and shorter every day. And that's true. It, there's no time in life to waste wanting things. Just do what you can to make them happen. Even if it's a long-term plan, you got to start somewhere. Yep. It's never going to happen without the first step. So Exactly. Well, thank you, Pamela. You have yourself a wonderful evening. Thank you for having me. Definitely. Come back and see us again. Or hear us I again. hope to. <laughs> okay. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I, I have to say, I just really admire her resolve. That takes a lot of strength to do the stuff that she does and to, you know, withstand the bullying, just like uh, Lady Lone Wanderer. 
And it's so sad the way that that stuff goes, but she's definitely somebody who doesn't back down. And uh, whether it's a video game or in real life, she's a very strong person. And I respect that to the uh, to the hilt. Uh, so thank you for joining me on another week of the Haskin Cast podcast. Don't forget to head over to the Facebook page, put a like on it, and you will be entered into the monthly drawing for a mental sauna flash drive, which has all five albums and the beautiful artwork by Kelly. Uh, just amazing stuff that she does. So uh, anyway, give a like, give a uh, donation, whatever you like, and enjoy the show. We'll be back on next week with another episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.